Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I am Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana. And Jess, we are both Notre Dame grads and we have both missed our callings. The re- the, the Why we are not lawyers blows my mind because of what's going on in college sports between Bob Huggins in West Virginia and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. The amount of money the lawyers are going to make in all this, we <laughs> blew it. That's a that is true. Although I don't think I would I don't think I would make it as a uh, contract lawyer in college football, Mike. It seems like a level of stress that I'd rather just talk about those people than than actually have to go to bat for Pat Fitzgerald right now. You know what the problem too is is the big words they they used. I saw a big word. Somebody they used the word <laughs> spurious. And I had no uh, idea what Spurious was. I'm like, I he was the coach the at South Carolina. I think he was at Florida before that. But well played, well yeah, played, Jess. But yeah, they use way too big of words. But they're the ones, no matter what, that are going to make all the money in this situation. As both these situations at West Virginia and and Northwestern are absolutely kind of getting to a ridiculous stage. Let, let's start obviously with Northwestern as Pat Fitzgerald has been fired, uh, but it's certainly not over. Just, I I guess, overall, first, just your impression of everything that's gone on in the Northwestern situation. It's been incredible. I mean, in like the true sense of the word, not not in a good way, but I mean, the investigation that they... um the university did on the program came out and they gave Pat Fitzgerald a a two week suspension uh, in the middle of summer. And then the student newspaper, the Daily Northwestern comes out with a detailed uh, allegations from a player who said that there had been hazing going on and the the types of hazing that was going on, which is really disturbing stuff. And for all of this to come out in the public now and catch Northwestern's brass off guard, it seems like has been incredible to see over the span of just a weekend, things going from all right, like they, you know, they hired the investigators. They did the the big investigation. He's he's going to face some consequences for it too. Now he's fired a person who's been the face of this football program for decades. Uh, it has been just a complete whirlwind. I'm honestly still shocked that he's been fired at this point, and and I understand why. But wow, like what a crazy couple of days. Yeah, and that's why the situation's not over. It was, and, and you got to wonder about the president Michael Schill and the how quickly he did the two-week, um, not unpaid suspension in a in a in a dark period of recruiting in the summer, which is basically nothing. It's basically oh, taking an vacation. unpaid vacation. I mean, it's right. it's a joke. And why he made the decision that quick, and then all of a sudden he reversed course 
whether it was the public backlash or, as he says, more details were coming up. There's a lot of tentacles to this, but let's let's kind of instead of diving into some of the uh, attorney ones or lawyer ones, which we can read some of the things about that. I, I guess first, let let me ask this, because this is a question whenever there's been a coach in college that has gotten in trouble because of something the players have done. The first question that's always asked, Jess, and I wonder your thought on this, is it the responsibility of the head coach of a college team to know everything that's going on uh, in with their team and what they do on and off the field, or their field of play? I think that, yes. And I understand the perspective of people where it's a big team and something might happen that involves a couple players that the coach doesn't find out about. But then when the coach finds out, because they always do, right? What do they do about it? How are they reinforcing that um, bad behavior doesn't fly on their team? And we've seen time and time again, in there was a big Atlanta Journal-Constitution um, article that came out about Kirby Smart and players at Georgia get, getting involved in um, illegal and, and really poor behavior there, yep. including, you know, sexual misconduct. And we, as we know, all of the driving infractions that have happened there. And so like, we know all the time that coaches find out about things that sometimes the public doesn't find out about and what is their response to it. But I think with a situation like this Northwestern, uh, situation, this is a alleged widespread team activity. This is something that's been happening with the entire team over the span of years. So I think you'd have to be really naive to think that he doesn't know anything about it. And if he doesn't, then he's just clearly not paying attention very well. And so there almost seems to be no defense for this kind of behavior because whether you know about it or not, you're doing, you're being negligent either way. If if this these allegations involving the entire team and participating in these behaviors is true, you should either know about it because it's affecting all the players and it's probably happening right in front of your eyes. Or if you don't, then you are clearly just unfit to be a coach of that many people at that high of a level. So there are there are things that, that go on in the locker room and people that know. First, like with the Georgia thing, a number of those cases became the law got involved, especially with the drag racing yeah. and stuff. So that we we know everybody's going to find out about. But as far as what goes on inside of a locker room, and, and Pat Fitzgerald has said this, and just about every coach I played for has said this, the locker room is the players. Whether it's college or the NFL, the locker room is the players. You guys that, that handle your business in the locker room. But that also doesn't mean you don't have any idea what's going on. And in college especially, there is normally somebody on the coaching staff, maybe not a coach, but you know there's other administrators, right-hand man of a, right. of a, of a head coach, somebody that knows what's going on that has their ear to the ground and knows what's happening. And then head coaches either say, deal with it, you deal with it, giving them plausible deniability, or fill me in on everything that's going on. Like they'll know what bars the players hang out at on Thursday nights, who they're dating. They'll, they'll, they'll know all that stuff. So while the internal invest or not internal, the independent investigation mm-hmm. that went on there, the, the, the lady found that, Pat Fitzgerald, there was no evidence that he knew what was going on. I don't know how many people are going to believe that because you hear so many people coming out, Justin, saying, oh, I know Pat. He's such a good guy. I can't believe any of this. Well, here's the thing. How well do you, do you know Pat? I know Pat. I know Pat pretty well. 
but I don't know him that well. Pat's, Pat's always been a hell of a guy to me. You can be a heck of a guy and be wrong in a situation as well. They're not mutually right. exclusive. That can happen. Well, there's also the aspect of it that he's so ingrained in the program and played at the university. So things that like he's experienced as a player get reinforced and then you become a coach and you're just like, oh, well, that's how things work here. And that's where right. it becomes a cultural problem because you reinforce things that should not have any place in sports and athletics and and 20 year olds, 19 year olds, 22 year olds should not be involved in. And you write it off as something that, oh, well, we had that when I was a student and now we have it as a coach. And that's what makes Northwestern special, which seems absurd, Mike. And, and I see so many people defending Pat Fitzgerald and like his his moral standing, and his moral character. And, and like you said, I mean, he may be a really nice guy to yes. get a beer with. That doesn't mean that he isn't wrong here. And it, it, it almost like makes me wonder if people think that all of the people in the world that do bad things or turn a blind eye to bad things are just like walking around in like black capes with like yeah. a hat pulled over their eye. Like, no, like most people that participate in bad behavior walk around and shake people's hands and have beers with yeah. them. Like it doesn't, one doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're bad or good. Right. People are very complicated. And so I think, but like where I come back to on this is that, um, this is a guy that's been around, around Northwestern for a long time. He knows what goes on in the locker room at Northwestern. And he's probably been a part of it either as a player or a coach. Not saying that like he knew everything that was going on, but he understands the culture of the locker room better than most coaches at most schools, especially in college football where coaches don't stick around that long anymore at places. So this was going on. There's now, I think I read Bruce Feldman said last night, at least 11, 11 former students, yeah. 11 former players have said that this was going on. Whether he knew exactly what it was or he knew that there was something, he should know. He's the head coach and it falls on him ultimately. That's what we, you know, that's, that's who you look towards to blame. That's why you get paid millions of dollars to be a college football coach, right? Because you're in charge of a lot of very important things. And in this case, he failed. That's where there is a similarity with the Bob Huggins thing we'll get to in a bit is Bob Huggins is so associated with West Virginia, having gone there and from there. And Pat Fitzgerald, you make a great point. Pat was a player there, an incredibly highly decorated player there, and now been a coach there for a long time. So was there a comfort level with what kind of goes on there? Um, and, and now here we are with the lawyers involved. And you mentioned the, it is up to like 11 current and former players who have said something about this. And some of them have basically indicted Pat Fitzgerald saying he would give signals at practice of who was right. to be, you know, right. involved in this. And let me also say for those out there saying, oh, it's just, you know, good old boy fun hazing. No, it's not. Okay. That don't. And they say, oh, that goes on everywhere. No, it doesn't, okay? The part that I would be involved with in college and the pros was singing a song and maybe getting your hair cut. So <laughs> to sit there and say that everybody is naked, putting on a purge mask and dry-humping people is a ridiculous. I mean, what reading some of the stuff that goes on there, it's, it's unbelievable to me that, that players are doing this. So to blanketly say this is done everywhere, that's a ridiculous statement. I just wanted to to get that out there. No, it's, your... that's a good point. I think like it should go without saying that hazing is bad, yes. but I think we still have to say it because I have seen some really 
absurd uh, defense of what's going on there. And like you said, it's not like making the rookie sing karaoke in front of the whole yeah. team like we see on Hard Knocks every year. It's not making the freshmen carry, you know, the, the equipment pad, out yeah. or whatever. Like, it, this yeah. is, like, really disturbing stuff. And in some cases, like... I'm surprised there hasn't been any conversation about criminal charges because we're talking about like sexual contact here between players in a forced like forced situation like yep. you you have to participate in this or you know you're not part of the team or whatever like it's really really gross and disturbing but I think you're right you do have to say this is bad because some people will defend it even though it seems pretty obvious that it's bad. isn't it amazing you sit there and have to say this isn't done everywhere i mean it, it's crazy yeah. and as far as where this goes i'm going to get to that in a minute but but for those that are saying wait a minute the lady who did the independent investigation said there wasn't evidence that he knew what was going on whether you want to believe that or not but if that was in the report i'm sure that there, there are those that are saying well why are you firing him then and this is a reason you know at one a tweet i was reading they had to fire him. There's no way possible he can recruit kids and tell the parents, I will protect your child and do what is right for them during his time at the university. He can say he had no knowledge, but if he didn't, that's a problem as well, that he had no control of the program. And that's right, because you sit there and you're talking to an 18-year-old and his parents, and the parent, as I am a parent, would say, well, what the hell is going on there? And your reply is, well, you know what? I didn't know what was going on there, so you can't hold me responsible. Me as a parent would be like, well, hell yeah, I can. That's your program, and you don't know what's going on there, and you want me to send my kid into that. So I can see why some people don't think it's fair, but it had to be done because recruiting is the lifeblood of college sports, and it would be very difficult for Pat to go into that living room and try and convince someone to go into a locker room that he says he didn't know what was happening. Right. And like the reporting on this reached a critical mass at some point, because of course, when one player comes forward, there's always the, yes. Oh, it's just a disgruntled player who is not getting playing time. Like people will discredit them yes. very quickly to protect the person in power. But then more people came forward. And then the daily Northwestern published allegations of racism against Northwestern mm -hmm. and the culture on the team that Pat Fitzgerald has been in charge of. And so I think from this point forward, there's also a, a baseball coach uh, misconduct scandal happening at Northwestern right. right now. There's a whole lot of stuff happening with them in their athletics department. But I think from this point forward, what Northwestern will have to figure out is how they're going to earn back the trust of all of the athletes that attend their school, all of the prospective athletes that want to attend their school, and how they're going to make things right for all the players that have come forward with these allegations. There was one player in particular that was quoted in ESPN saying that when he was a student at Northwestern, this happened, and he he felt that it was traumatic. This is something that he's remembered his entire life um, because it was it was it was a stunning thing that happened in the in that locker room. So they have a long path ahead of them. They have a lot of work to do to gain back the trust of players, parents, like you said, fans who are probably just in shock right now. Um, but yeah, most importantly, the the victims of all of this who feel that they were wronged. And is it going to be over? Is Michael Schiff, the president, is he going to feel any wrath of this for his quick yeah. decision of a two-week, you know, unpaid, you that's know, suspension? The, that's the what? thing that's crazy to me is that did they? It, it makes me feel like they felt Northwestern's trustees and their president felt that 
everyone would forget about it. Yes. Like it's July. Let's just like wrap it up. Everyone's going to forget about this. No one's going to look any further into it. We're going to punish him and say something happened, but like no one will look further. And then the student newspaper was like, actually, here's some pretty disturbing allegations. And then they realized, oh shoot, maybe reporters are going to do their jobs and everyone's going to find out about this. Cause it, it's like known as one of the best journalism schools in the country. Yeah. And people did their jobs and uncovered the truth pretty quickly there. So it's amazing to me that that was not thought through at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's why I'm shocked that it went from two week summer unpaid vacation to uh, getting fired, like the you know face of the program getting fired in a span of a few days. So, so that's what Pat Fitzgerald is saying as well. So now it gets to the legal side of this. Pat is two years into a 10-year, $57 million deal. So he's making over $5 million a year, and there's a lot of money left on the table. So what happens next, Jess? This is going to get interesting. But does, does the law get involved because of the possible sexual misconduct that went on? Are they going to get involved? Is there anything in the contract for Pat Fitzgerald that says anything that goes on like, like this or fireable offenses – does it go through mediation or arbitration before it can go to the court? So do they have to do that? Is that in there? Or does it go, will it get to the court? And then if it does, does either side want that? Because then you get discovery, then you get witnesses. And does Pat Fitzgerald want more players coming out and saying, this happened under his watch? Again, Pat can say all he wants. I didn't know, but it still looks bad on you that all of this went on under your your leadership and then from the school side do you want all this stuff coming out that's already coming out do a great job by the journalists there at, at the at the school paper there do you want more of it coming out or do you just try and yeah. while everybody's going to want the truth to come out will these two entities coach and school just want to end this thing get some kind of settlement and end this thing just just to try and move on because you're right there is a ton of damage control that needs to go on at this point. I imagine they will settle for a lot of money out of court and because it's a private school and they don't really have to tell anyone how much it is and because he probably will not tell anyone how much it is because it's going to be a lot of money, yep. we will never find out the true amount. But um, I think they're going to try to want to make this go away quickly and quietly. Um, and honestly, knowing the landscape of college football would not surprise me if Pat Fitzgerald had another job as a coordinator somewhere in the next couple you, you of years. You think so? See, I was going to, that's what I was going to ask you yeah. next. Do you see him co head coaching again in college? Head coaching? I'm not sure. I, I doubt it. I don't actually think he was a very good head coach at Northwestern, which is a whole other issue. They haven't won a game in the United States in six over 600 days, I believe. Um, you know, they went one and 11 last year. Their only win was against Nebraska and Ireland. And then uh, the year before that, I think they only won three games. So he's, he's had a, a tough stretch just as a coach winning games. I think the appeal of Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern was that he was this like upstanding moral citizen who understood the university. He understood how to recruit for the university, which is a difficult place to recruit players. Sure. Um, and he could maximize the talent level that he was able to get there. And now that you strip those things away and you find out that actually either he knew bad things were happening or he didn't have control of his program, what is the appeal there? Is he actually a savvy enough coach to be willing to hire this person after all of these things have come out? The reason I say I'm not surprised is because we've already seen Art Bryles and right. 
Yep. Other coaches like him that have been embroiled in scandal get jobs in. Uh, he he has been hired and then fired from jobs after public backlash, um, and never has been an FBS coach again, uh, head coach again, obviously. But like it, the, that is college football, right? Like teams throw their morals out of the door, generally speaking, when they want to win games. I mean, DJ Durkin, who was the head coach at Maryland when right. Jordan McNair died during mm -hmm. practice, he's now yep. the defensive coordinator for Texas A&M, I believe. Like, we see this happen again and again. And, like, I guess that's not to say, like, you don't deserve a job anymore if something bad happens. But if you've been found responsible for putting players in danger, then I think there is a legitimate cause for concern if you are to be hired again, to be in a position to take care of young men playing football. I mean, remember when they went to the Rose Bowl years ago, Pat was talked about for NFL jobs. And now, oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've gone he all the way. He was floated to be Notre yes. Dame's head coach yes. after Brian Kelly left yes. for I mean, uh, it's, LSU it's, not too long ago. It's amazing a so. path that goes on. And then there, you know, for those interested or wondering about the team this year, and that seems inconsequential to the big picture here, but they are going to have to play games this year. Northwestern's going to have to field the team and put it out there. So who coaches? And I think the easy answer to this is going to be their new defensive coordinator, David Braun. David Braun came over from North Dakota State, and reason just why I think he'll be the interim head coach is he has not been associated with this coaching staff, which is now being associated with all this hazing and racial stuff that is going on. He is brand new to the program, hired in, in January, a guy that has come in, like I said, from North Dakota State. So he hasn't been embroiled in all of this. So I think and, – and you can't do a national search and hire somebody brand new in July when you're just a couple of weeks away from starting camp. So I firmly believe he'll be the interim head coach and he'll coach the entire year and then – We'll go from there. But we know there are bigger issues than that on where it ends up with the school, the school president, Pat Fitzgerald, and what happens if this thing does go to court. And unfortunately, it's not the only thing going on uh, in college sports. We have a situation in West Virginia where they say their coach has resigned. The coach says, I'm not resigned. I'm still the head basketball coach. More fun to talk about after this. All right, Jess, so uh, unfortunately not the only bad thing going on in college sports as we're getting ready to get through the summer months of doing lists of Mount Rushmore and things when less sports are going on and getting closer and closer to football. We had the Bob Huggins situation at West Virginia where on a local radio show a, while, a little bit ago he had some homophobic things he said. Then he gets nailed for DUI in Pittsburgh, think he's, thinks he's in Columbus. Uh, at the time, his wife writes a resignation letter off of their email account that he resigns effective immediately. He is now saying that he did not write that resignation letter. His wife did. The school is saying, we got a resignation letter from you. If you try to dispute that, we will vigorously fight it. So, I mean, it is. Uh, here's one thing. I don't think he's ever going to coach at West Virginia again, but uh, just like uh, uh, Pat Fitzgerald's not going to get his job back, now it's going to be about how much money you collect. It seems for a guy who is a homegrown one there and Bob Huggins in West Virginia, the family atmosphere, he's been around there so long, it's going to see, you know, what can he end up with because he's not going to be the coach. Yeah, I'm. this is 
like purely a money thing, right? Because yes. if they fire him, they will have to pay him probably more than if he resigns. So um, the whole situation is bizarre. Um, and then there's the aspect of him. Like, I don't think very many people disagree that he should either be fired or not be the coach anymore after, I mean, after the situation where he used the F word repeatedly on radio referring to um, uh, their rival basketball team, I I hoped that that would be it. Like, that seems like a pretty uh, difficult thing to come back from, but apparently it was not. They, they docked his salary and moved on. And then there's this, I think it's his second DUI uh, in Pittsburgh. So, like, Whatever happens there, they need to figure it out. But the, the wrinkle of it that now he's blaming his wife for sending the email uh, is it's a new one. I have to admit it's creative. I have not I have not heard that before. So, again, the university on Saturday released an email that was sent from an account belonging to June Huggins, Bob's wife, said, please accept this correspondence as my formal notice of reg- resignation as West Virginia head basketball coach and a notice of my retirement from West Virginia University effective immediately. To which Bob Huggins is saying, "I didn't, I didn't write that." Bob doesn't have an email, by the way. Uh, so this is kind of okay. Like, well, like, yeah. That <laughs> again, I. How do you not have an email? Like, so which is going to be interesting? It gets when, weirder when this goes to court. <laughs> what will the court look at that as? As Huggins' counsel is trying to say that's not a resignation letter by contract. It has to be a, a letter signed by Bob Huggins. You know, that he resigned, and this is from his wife. So Bob is basically saying, that's not mine. I wonder what's going on at home there, you know, with Bob and his wife. You know, wife sent that. Right. But, well, but what, I, I can't imagine that, like, someone would send a resignation yeah. letter just out of the blue without consulting the person who's, you know, Agreed. I, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any way I... that happens. So Bob <laughs> is now trying to say, that's not my resignation letter. And so they're saying we didn't we didn't write that. So I'm still the head basketball coach here. And here's where the the word spurious came into play. Uh, The school put out a statement after Bob put out his statement that said, I'm still the coach because that wasn't a resignation letter. It said if Mr. Huggins or his counsel attempts to publicly suggest that he somehow somehow did not resign and retire from his position, please be advised that the university will swiftly and aggressively defend itself from these spurious allegations. So right. here, Good here use we are. Of spurious. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Is I had to look up the word uh, well, spurious. This but and, whole thing and is it works. insane. If just FYI, if Chris ever emails me that you resigned from Golik and Smetty, I will text you for confirmation. So I, I can see his point of view there. Well, listen, if Chris ever texts anything about me, then just believe it because she's been making decisions. <laughs> I've been married 36 Fair. years. After year one, I decided to let her make all the decisions. She's in charge. Twofold. One, uh, that's less pressure on me of making a decision. Two, nothing can ever be my fault because she makes all the decisions. Fair. That's the way I look at it. Uh, that's the way, but that, that's not the way Bob Huggins is looking no. at it. So. You just, what a bizarre wonder. end for this head coach. Like, he was the face of this basketball program for years, Mike. And I don't think things could have gone more bizarrely over the last four months for him. Again, like I'm I, when he survived the first scandal of the summer, I was like, wow, this is this is going to not be pretty. So, like this is already yikes. Like he should probably retire soon because this is really bad. And then this happens like two weeks later. Like 
it's just unbelievable. So let me ask you this. Who get and and I'll just say a job because I don't know if Pat's going to get a head coaching job again or at least not right away. I agree, it may be a coordinator somewhere. So I'll ask it this way, and I'll just say a job first. Who gets a job first, Bob Huggins or Pat Fitzgerald? I probably Pat Fitzgerald. Bob Huggins, I I don't know where you go from here. But again, like we've seen other bas- college basketball coaches embroiled in scandal get lower uh tier coaching jobs elsewhere maybe he'll go to europe i don't know he's also older right like yeah he is isn't isn't quite as old as him yet so i don't know that i think uh cynically i could see it happening to either one of them (laughs) yeah i I mean sports man yeah this is where we are yeah you you, because you mentioned it before there there are coaches who have done unbelievably egregious things and and just to get hired again somewhere you think they're never going to get a job again and there they go uh getting hired again so so that's not going to end so hey hopefully we have sports coming on soon because uh you know we're 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 dealing with the court system now and who's going to make what money there's there's probably we know with pat i don't know what the money situation is with bob uh but we know there's a lot of money on the table again he had eight more years at over five mil a year on the table so and you wonder if Bob was a yeah. You don't wonder how could how could his wife send that without Bob knowing about it? But you wonder after that if they realize, wait a minute, we're leaving a whole lot on the table here. We can't go right. out this way. Let's find let's find a way around it. And of course, that's what a lawyer does. Is wait a minute, this is from June's account, not Bob's account. We have ourselves a case again. Lawyers getting rich. We should have been lawyers. All right, Jess, so there's actually sports going on right now. It's uh, it's actually fun to talk about. We've had the Women's U.S. Open. We have Wimbledon going on right now. I'm still practicing for my uh, golf tournament coming up uh, later this week. Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's going to be difficult. But uh, the, the So I guess first and foremost, for me anyway, the Women's U.S. Open, which I watched a lot of over the weekend, I still can't believe that's the first time they played at Pebble Beach. Yeah, uh, that, it was. That one kind of stunned me. It is crazy. They, this was the first time that they've ever had uh, this event there, and it was super cool to watch. I've, yeah. you know, seen photos of Pebble Beach before, but like watching it for three days, it kind of felt like it was like a, almost a screensaver was on at one point because you're watching like the waves come and crash in and people hanging on the beach. In the meantime, these uh, women's players are hitting the most incredible uh, fairway shots that I've ever seen in my life that I could only dream of hitting. Um, so it was pretty cool. I mean, it was a huge weekend for women's golf. Like, just no way to – there's no other way to say it, really. This was a massively hyped-up event. This was the yeah. first time they were playing there. It was a U.S. Open. Uh, the winner was Allison Corpus, who's from Hawaii, so an American right. player won, which is, you know, always cool to win the U.S. Open. Um, and just, like, you know, the viewership, I think, was the highest fir- first-round uh, viewership in U- women's U.S. Open history. Uh, I saw people, you know, talking about it, posting about it on social media. And so it was just a a really fun, uh, cool event to watch. And Pebble Beach is just like, it's a gorgeous golf course. It's a great course. Yeah, I I would love to golf it someday. I'm sure I'll lose a lot of a lot of golf balls there, but I would love to. Again, I'm still somewhat stunned. It was the first time they they played. there. I think that that's some somewhat ridiculous unless there's a reason for it that I don't know about. Um, let's just keep going through some, some sports Wimbledon going on right now. I brought this up 
the other day. I forgot who I was talking to about. I think the toughest thing in sports, and I've said this for a couple of decades of, of being on air, is to hit a, hit a baseball, hit a, a round ball with a round bat, you know, with a, with a professional pitcher. I think that's one of the hardest things to do. But I'm watching Wimbledon, Jess, and I'm watching these guys serve, and I'm watching how hard and fast they hit a ball, and it blows my mind. So I think I was talking to my son Mike about this. I asked, if you just took a regular Joe off the street, some guy off the street, mm-hmm. put him in a batter's box against a professional pitcher, put him across from the hardest-serving pro tennis player right now, mm-hmm. whoever that is, what would happen first? The average Joe would actually return a tennis ball in play or the, the in the batter's box actually put a baseball in play. Both probably would just be sticking their respective racket and or bat out to try and make contact right. with the ball, but who would actually succeed? It's an interesting question, and I'm, I'm intrigued that you ask this because this is actually something that we recently put to the test uh, with Stugatz because Stugatz oh. has long maintained that he can return a, a professional tennis serve. No and shit. so a year ago, we went to where they play the Miami Open here at uh, the Hard Rock Stadium right. grounds. And Riley Opelka, who's this incredibly tall pro tennis player, he's a, I don't know, he's probably like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's really tall. Um, he came out and served at Stugatz for like 30 minutes. And it is exactly what you said. If you are in the right position and you just stick the racket out, you can return it inbounds. And Stugatz was actually able to do that with a cigarette in his mouth. So it's very difficult to do. I think there was a little bit of luck involved. Stugatz is not, you know, a quick on his feet guy. And Riley Opelka's serve is like, I don't even remember, like 120 miles per hour or something like that. I and mean, it's like a ridiculously fast. Um, but he was able to actually be in position. I also think Riley was kind of taking it easy on him. I right. didn't say that yeah. to Stugatz at the time. But I think that he felt bad and, you know, wanted him to at least get one. Um, but he was able to do it. Now, do I think Stugatz could hit a, you know, fastball? Uh, no, I, I don't. I think he would strike out 10 out of 10 times. So, See, yeah. I, I think in obviously the racket, you have a bigger surface area to be able to return one, but you also have more space with when you with which you have to move, right, yeah, right. to get the ball. And where in a batter's box, it's limited space. The ball is going to be right in your area to stick the bat out. The only problem is that a professional pitcher could probably throw a hook on you that looks like it's going to hit you before it curves over the plate, to which any normal person is going right. to dive backwards out, Jump of, the out way. of the way. The, yeah, the, the, I, yeah, I can't, the fear I can't of imagine. hit by a baseball. Yeah, is, I, is exactly the fear, and also I don't think I can swing that fast. Like you've seen me, you've seen me play golf. My swing is very slow. That's one of the things that I I was watching Allison Corpus play her final uh, round at Pebble Beach this weekend, and she's taking practice swings, and I'm like. She just is swinging so fast. I cannot do that. If I were, if I were had a baseball bat and I was trying to just make any sort of contact, I don't think I would have to start swinging before the pitch because I don't think yeah. I can swing that fast. I just don't. I, I don't have the reflexes for it, and I'm not strong enough. I think that's so probably yeah. in the same boat. I think I would agree <laughs> that that it would still be the baseball would be the hardest hit. And it also brings up the question at its fastest so a pitcher that throws a little over 100 Mm -hmm. a hockey puck that is shot usually a little over 100 miles an hour or lacrosse ball that is shot 
usually over a little hundred over a little over 100 miles an hour which would you least want to get hit by to me it's the always hockey, been the, the hockey, hockey puck, puck the right? hockey puck i mean you there's a reason why hockey players don't have teeth <laughs> like you don't see that many you know toothless lacrosse players <laughs> I mean, maybe you do. I actually know one from Notre Dame, but it's rare. It's not as it's not as common. Let's put it oh, that way. Oh, that's funny. So you mentioned the guy that was serving to uh, to a stew was like tall, six four, six five. What a great Super story tall. at Wimbledon, right? With with Chris Eubanks and yeah. what's going on with him. And this dude six seven and kind of out of nowhere, right? Uh, where he's in the quarterfinals. Uh, I mean, just just he has been and listening to him talk and be interviewed. He's like just a breath of fright. What a great personality he has. Yeah, it's been super cool to watch. I mean, I'm not like the type of person to get like uh, school conference pride. And like Notre Dame football is not even in a conference, but you know, the rest of the schools that part of the ACC. And I've kind of felt like this weird like ACC. Like I, I almost want to do it because he played tennis at Georgia Tech, but I'm, right. I've stopped myself because I think that that's kind of stupid. I hate when SEC fans do it, but. Uh, I also I googled it. Riley Opelka is six eleven, so I was off by like seven inches. Still 6'11. really tall. He was wow. so tall. Like at, if you're over six two to me, like you might as well just be like seven feet tall. It doesn't make <laughs> a difference. So I was off by like six inches. But yeah, Chris Eubanks has been super fun to watch. He beat Tsitsi Pass yesterday, who was the fifth seed in the tournament in the round of sixteen. Um, he's been super like just really like, com- like cool in his interviews and. I just like it's cool to watch an American player too. Like I know in tennis, like everyone wants to cheer for the players from their countries, and you know there is not like Francis Tiafo lost in the in round of 32. I think yeah. so. There's not another player right now that's like really dominating, and so it's been it's been cool to watch, and hopefully he can make it to the semis. Yeah, hopefully he can. Like I said, he's been a lot of fun uh, fun to watch. Another guy, I'm not sure, you know, if we want to say fun to watch, but it was. Everybody was intrigued by what it was going to be. Victor Wembignana, the number one pick of the NBA draft, but with San Antonio, played two games in the summer league. The first game was forgettable. What was he? I think two of 13 <laughs> did, yeah. did not look good at all. Then the second, second game, he had 27 points, was 9 of 14 from the field, double-digit rebounds, a few blocks as well, and now he's done playing. Uh, Pop has pulled him out of the rest of the summer league after the two games to just concentrate on getting ready for the season. By the way, the the game was he played in was the first game he played in. I think was the second highest rated summer league game yeah. behind Zion Williamson in 2019 was the yeah. highest summer league game that was ever played. But were did you watch Victor? Did you were you kind of intrigued by what this seven foot five guy was going to do? I didn't watch uh, the game. I mean, I think Lee tried to like make me watch it, but I, I just can't get excited for summer league basketball. I know this year has been a huge spectacle because of Wembenyama, and there's tons of media out there in Las Vegas covering his first game. Like he's he's one of the most hyped up. I think Zion's probably really close second, but yeah. one of the most hyped up prospects in the last ten years um, to play in summer league. But I truly like. I don't really. I'm not going to make any sort of judgments on him based off of how he plays in summer league. So I'm not going to watch it. There's like 5,000 other sporting things going on this past week with 
I mean, my, my television, you know, when you watch a channel for so long that it like burns into your screen. Yeah. Yeah. My TV is just permanently green from the U S open and Wimbledon. Everything is just, my TV is just grass <laughs> is burned onto it. And so I just don't have the bandwidth for it, but if people are interested and excited, especially Spurs fans, I get it. Enjoy it. It's fun, but it's like preseason NFL football, yeah. but yeah. like less, like it's even less interesting to me than like a preseason NFL game where I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, the Steelers have a fifth string wide receiver. I didn't know that they got in the sixth round. Ooh, he looks like he can catch a ball. Like it's even less than that to me. See, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that has always, always watch all of the preseason games because I was a 10th rounder when there were 12 rounds. Right. You want to uh, watch was, all the other Mike Golicks out there. Yeah. M- my son, Mike was an undrafted free agent coming out of college. So I always root for those lower drafted or undrafted guys who play later in preseason games to do well to try and make a team. But I get I get why the casual or the normal fan is not. I understand that. They're not so as concerned about the back yeah. end of a roster more than the front end of a roster. But Big Vic, you know, he said he's going to spend the next three months basically eating, drinking, sleeping, basketball, something he wasn't able to do, preparing for the draft and that process. So – uh, and I think that that's a smart move. I think it's twofold. One, you don't want to take any risk of getting him hurt at all. And yeah. number two, you just want to get him, you know, like I said, in the weight room, maybe get a little stronger, maybe get a little bigger, and then see how the season starts for him. So mm-hmm. uh, there are sports going on. I was glad to actually talk about some of that instead of lawyers. And we have another one to talk about as well. And there is a, someone returning to the F1 and getting in a car again, Mr. Personality himself is back with a ride. We'll talk about that next. All right, Jess, before we get to F1 and the return of one of the great personalities there, we did have the Home Run Derby. Uh, it's Baseball All-Star Weekend, uh, so look, look, look forward to that. I like watching that game. And the Home Run Derby, I was intrigued by. Uh, a, if they're going to do another rule change, and, and B, just how many dingers people hit. And a pretty good show last night, won by Vlad Guerrero Jr. So now, first ever father-son winning combination. Vlad Guerrero won it, I think, 16 years ago. They showed a great picture of Vlad Sr. winning it. And in the family photo was, I think, a 12-year-old Vlad Jr. who now, you know, is a champion himself, which is very, very cool. Uh, He beat, uh, who was it, Randy uh, Arozarena. Uh, from Tampa Bay, who was a lot of fun. You know, he was kind of that unexpected name who made it to the finals. He was a lot of fun bringing his cowboy boots out. I kept thinking he was going to put them on uh, while he <laughs> while he was batting. But but he had a lot of fun. Adley Rutschman from the Orioles, he was the first guy that put on a show because he batted lefty, Jess, in his first three minutes. I, and then the, I did see that. that yeah, was the cool. extra time, he switched it over yeah. to the right and hit like seven more home runs, but then yeah. got beat. He had like four minutes of fame. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that like the, the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby, it's a lot like, you know, NBA All-Star where every year they're trying to tinker with it and make it more exciting and fun to watch. But I've always thought that they should make the players hit the home run and then run the bases and come back and try to hit another one because then you're making it a cardio workout. And I think that ah. would be really fun to watch. You're, you're not going to get as many dingers, but the faster you run, the more opportunities you get to you hit. Get... So, Well, it's interesting. I, I, I think cardio came into play for the hometown kid. Julio Rodriguez plays for Seattle. This is this, uh, the, the all-star weekend is in Seattle. He had 41 home runs in the first round. 41. He beat Pete Alonso 41-21. But I think 
he got cardioed out, quite honestly, Jess, because the next <laughs> round, uh, he only hit 20. And he lost to Vlad Guerrero Jr. <laughs> Beat him by, Guerrero Jr. had 21. So I, I do think he was tight a little bit. But it's that is interesting. That is interesting to make him run the bases. You're right. You'd get a lot fewer home runs. So I think people would be bummed about that. And you'd see some real, real tired people. Uh, no, no question about that. But congrats to Vlad Guerrero Jr. on that. Again, father-son, first father-son combo uh, to win the home run derby. That is a very, very cool thing. And then, Jess, we get to F1. Um, yeah, Formula One. I mean, wow. So, so we, I'll let you. We, we had one of the biggest personalities when I've watched, when I've watched Drive to Survive. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo is one of the big personalities in this. He had been a backup driver, but that's all about to change. I am truly stunned that they have AlphaTauri, who is the Red Bull development team, have sapped their driver, Nick DeVries, who's a rookie this year, uh, halfway through the season, not, it didn't even make it to the summer break because they were not happy with his performance. And now they're putting Daniel Ricardo back into a seat in F1. Um, it is truly, I guess, not shocking because there were rumors that this was going to happen for a few months now, which I guess it is kind of shocking because you don't, that, like, very few F1 drivers get displaced out of a seat, you know, this soon into a season. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Daniel Ricardo is a huge fan favorite. I mean, people love him. He's very funny. He had a, really tough two years racing for McLaren. And so he was really like, it seemed like mentally out of it in Formula One and couldn't get another top seat this year. So he decided to be the Red Bull reserve driver. But it makes you wonder if Red Bull had this plan in the back of their minds when they made him a reserve driver, because you, I got the sense throughout the whole season that they were never really truly sold on Nick DeVries. They didn't expect their other driver last year, Pierre Gasly, to leave AlphaTauri. There was a whole chain of events that happened, right. uh, you know, last year when Sebastian Vettel retired and Fernando Alonso left to go to Aston Martin. That set off this chain reaction, and then you ended up with AlphaTauri needing someone to fill the seat, and it didn't seem like they agreed on who that should be, and now that person's out. So I do feel for him. He's only 28 years old, I believe, Nick DeVries, and he's now out of a seat already, but um, crazy times in Formula One, Mike. So if you're a rookie and you lose your seat before the summer break, what, what does that mean for you? I mean, is, is he going to have a tough time getting a seat again? Is he going to – what where does he go from here? I think he will. I think it's twofold. Like, it's hard to really – get a great judge of driver based off of few races in a not very fast car. AlphaTauri's car is not, it, it is very, very clearly in the back of the pack. But what the team generally does is they are looking at your uh, times in comparison to your teammates because you're both driving almost the exact same car. I mean, there's usually a, a few slight differences from like strategy and setup and everything like that. But they were not happy with him. But to me, it just, it didn't really seem like there was much he could do. It, there was not a lot in his control to make it work in the AlphaTauri car. And so I, I feel bad for him. I think this will probably impact the way other teams view him because he was someone who was very successful in the lower levels and finally got his chance in F1. And then, you know, only a few races later, he's now out of F1. So will he get another seat? Maybe. I mean, maybe in another on a lower team, he could potentially. Um, but... Uh, it's just it's a, it's a cutthroat sport. It is tough. Well, do you think this is kind of a rebirth for Daniel Ricardo? Then I mean, as far as he gets he gets a number of races to to show what he can do here to maybe either keep the seat or get another seat on another team. 
I mean, that is a, that is the interesting thing because he did not seem like he wanted to race at all this year. He seemed like mentally he wanted to take a break from being in the in the actual races, which are super physically and mentally demanding. Um, and now he's right back in it. So are the expectations low? Yes, it's still AlphaTauri. Like there, no one is expecting him to win a race. So if he finishes like closer to Yuki Sonoda and closer to the points, I think it will be considered a success. But if he does poorly, I don't. I think that it could actually be a really bad thing for him, especially mentally, because you you can blame it on the car, sure. But like it doesn't. I'm sure it wouldn't feel good for him to get pushed back into it this quickly and not be successful because of the car. So it, it's a tough, I mean, it's a tough call. I'm sure he's gonna get paid a lot more money to drive that versus to not drive. So probably an easy one for him, but yeah, it's it, a lot of things could happen. So then you have the actual British Grand Prix race which Lando Norris had the pole. He ends up getting second, but so of the top six, you had Red Bull uh, first and six, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. You had McLaren second and fourth, and mm -hmm. then you had Mercedes third and fifth. So yeah. those three cars, you know, taking the top six box spots, but there's Max again winning it all, which shocks nobody. No, it doesn't shock anyone. It was a fun race. I think uh, McLaren being really fast makes it interesting for the rest of the season, not necessarily for a title fight, but for uh, maybe an interesting midfield fight. People are, you know, the teams are still fighting for more money if they get finished higher and a better, you know, better you, you will have a better setup for the following season if you do better as a team so there's still a lot to fight for in terms of like the midfield and being like the seventh versus like the fourth car um but yeah max max is gonna win every race this season i think isn't he so i i think he is he's always the betting favorite and speaking of which jess I, i'm gonna know i need to know the answer to this question i am playing mm -hmm. in the american century classic this week Ooh. out in lake tahoe i'm very excited about it and there are odds that are out, and my odds are 500 to 1 that I'm going to win this thing. So I'd like to know how much of your hard-earned money you are going to place on me to win. Um, $10. That's it? 10 bucks. I, it's, a, it's a solid amount of money. Is that, that's a solid amount of money to you? It's to like bet three, on your partner? Three cold brews, yeah. Three days worth of, Mike, three days worth of nice cold brew. That's a lot. What would you bet on yourself? Are you going to put down a grand? Come on. Least a grand. No, Least a grand. No. Least a thousand dollars. What did you think I was going? What did you think I was going? To, did you I think I was going to say a thousand dollars? I thought really? you might say at least a hundred dollars. I thought we had a better relationship than this, Jess. A hundred dollars is insane. I'm sorry. Ten. Yeah. Ten is a lot for me. I yeah. usually am, am betting like five. Yeah, you're going to bet ten, a hundred bucks on Romo to win. I bet. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, Jess. <laughs> Goodbye.